tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. Violation, violation, violation. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special Violation podcast. As you know, it is the habit of this show to discuss albums in their entirety, but Because we are all feeling very rebellious, we have decided to do a special podcast when we are going to talk about great songs on albums we would never consider reviewing. That's right. Great songs on albums where the rest of the songs are. (laughs) So each of us has chosen two songs. Well, first tonight, uh, We're going to introduce the people who we're with. Uh, This is Doug Cooper, your host, and uh, the the, uh, one and only extremely humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, is with us. Hello, everybody. And we also have uh, Tony Slagle. Hey, you got it. You got it right. And uh, Tony's neither in a boat nor a closet tonight, so he's in (laughs) luxurious conditions. Inside the house in the mass right. room, so it's very impressive. Earlier, uh, we were able to see him throw his wife out of the master bedroom, showing <laughs> her who the boss is. And uh, Tony went on for about thirty minutes telling us how he wears the pants in that family, and she does everything she's supposed to. I, Tony, I don't, I don't believe, that I don't us. believe I did that at all. But thank <laughs> you for trying to get me in bigger trouble than I'm already in ever. <laughs> well, uh, as I mentioned, tonight is a violation podcast, and uh, we're just going to look at singles that are on albums that aren't good enough to talk about. And Jonathan J.M. Rowe is going to present us with his first choice. All right. Well, thank you, Doug. Um, the first song that I'm going to talk about is a band out of New Zealand, uh, Split Ends, and the album that this song is off of is true colors uh which is a very unusual album um not just for its songs but also the way it was packaged it had uh the album was actually laser edged so if you held it up into the light it would uh make different rainbow colors and everything so that was that was one of the things that yeah it was very pretty um sticks did something similar uh about this time i think it was kind of AM records at the time, which Sticks was on, was was messing around with that. Um, but the song off of this album is uh I Got You. Yeah, 
I think it's a a fine song. This was kind of the song that introduced me to the split ends. Um, it's written by Neil Finn, who later went on to found uh, Crowded House and had enormous success there. This was a one of the first songs that he ever actually wrote for the band. His brother, Tim Finn, was actually the main songwriter and singer for the band, but he brought in his little brother. Yeah, Neil wasn't in the band initially, right? No, he wasn't. He was not an original member. He was. I think this was his first album that he was actually brought in on. And uh, he turned out to be a, a, he was brought in as a guitarist. And, um, but he actually brought in this song and he uh, turned out to be a fine vocalist. And I just, this album again is, I would never, I love Split Ends. There's just a lot of songs that they have written that I just think are are fantastic, but trying to get through a whole Split Ends uh, album is is really difficult for me there's just there's always just seems like there's just so much filler in, in these songs and i think that that was just kind of maybe what the modus operandi was during that time albums were just kind of during this the late 70s early 80s uh seems like they were just putting out albums as fast as they could um just hoping something you know throwing spaghetti against the wall and, and see what would stick um one of the things that this was also it was one of the first songs that was on uh mtv so that's how i came to know this this band and this song um and uh i never actually bought the album uh until much later but uh, i do remember going over to a friend's house and listening to it and just being blown away by the uh by the etching in there that that laser etching that they had and then uh, pretty soon after that i bought my uh, sticks paradise theater and it had the same sort of thing so oh, okay i guess i don't have to buy the split ends album now because sticks did the same thing with the with their etching keep in mind i was 13 years old when this came out so uh yeah i i i also like split ends a lot and crowded house um I, this album's kind of a schizophrenic mess in a lot of ways it's funny when when neil joined the band he obviously had a significantly uh brighter pop sensibility than the rest of the guys because i i always I always classified, and this could be wrong, but I always classified split ends as being on the more sort of pop oriented side of progressive rock. Cause they, I thought, I think they're very, there's a lot of stuff they do that kind yeah. of hits that progressive rock side of things. I think even people used to think of them early on as the new New Zealand Genesis because they wore weird, you know, they, they were weird, weird things. Yeah. And, um, they were, but yeah, this is, this sounds to always sounded to me like an album where they're struggling between what Neil Finn was trying to do and what the rest of the band had been doing. Yeah. Um, it just, uh, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't quite, it doesn't, it's not a cohesive whole. It's kind of yeah. a mess in a lot of ways. This is a great, great song. though. It is. And it's, it, uh, this, the producer is David Tickle, who had worked with them before. And, That's a funny uh, name. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know who else? And you want to know where that the, must the have been Tex- hard growing up with that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know uh, the Texas connection to this album is? Uh. Uh-uh. David Tickle produced Eric Johnson's first album. Oh. Uh. Oh.
that's a funny name. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Eric Johnson. Cracks <laughs> <laughs> me up. All right, James. Thank you for that. Um, that's uh, you know, I don't know anything about any of that, and I found that interesting. So <laughs> <laughs> That was was so heartfelt. (laughs) All right. Anyway, we got another guy in the room with another song. Uh, Tony. Yeah. If you can stop laughing, that man, tell me what you got. So the first song I'm going to talk about is off of, uh, this may surprise some people since I, I gushed about this guy being my favorite rock and roll guitarist and in one of my favorite bands, but this is uh, David Gilmore's first solo album, David Gilmore. Um, the song is um, No Way Out of Here. which is the single released on that album. Uh, not even a song he wrote. It was written by, or it was performed by, I guess for what could be best described as a British country rock act that he helped produce. Um, their third album, uh, which he produced, um, had the song on it, uh, No Way Out of Here. The album was called Too Many Crooks. He decided he wanted to borrow it and do 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 something with it uh, on his own, um, and he re- and he did, and it's it's a great song. It's a great version. I mean, it's uh, is kind of David Gilmore being David Gilmore. His voice sounds great on it. The the guitar is great on it. Um, the reason why I picked this is because I don't find that his first solo album very compelling. It's a uh, uh, surprise, surprise. It's sort of bluesy in a lot of ways that uh, I don't like. Uh, oddly enough, we've talked about this before with, uh, especially with Wish You Were Here, how bluesy that stuff is that I do like. I don't know what the distinction is, but to me, there's it's just boring. Well, I like this. I, I do like the album. And I, I think this is the strongest track on the on the album. Um, I think that another re- a reason why I like this album it, it's more out of curiosity. It, like, you can find kind of the missing link between animals and uh, the wall here because his guitar starts making some of the sounds that you hear on animals and what you will later hear on uh, the wall. He starts, that's when he starts messing with the, that, that strange tube screamer sound that he's got. And which is also found on animals, but then he's got some digital delay stuff that's coming in off of the, the, the uh, short and sweet. Um, so it, there's some there's some compelling moments I think on this album, but you're you're definitely hitting the the one that I think is is the best, the strongest song on that on that album. It's a very David Gilmore song. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is. Um, I mean, it, uh, it, it, it reminds me of some of the themes from uh, Time. 
Um, anyway, it's not an album I would ever bring forward for us to do. Cause I really do think even, con- even what jam says, and he likes it. I, I, I have a feeling that we wouldn't have a whole lot to say about it. That would be interesting to people. Yeah. Um, and it was not a commercial success. In fact, uh, Gilmore toured behind it and nobody came. They ended up, <laughs> I think having, I think they had to, I think they had to uh, cut the tour short, if I remember correctly. It yes. happened with the second album too. Um, God, which it must is one be of the frustrating reasons, to go from the top of the universe. Well, it's one of the reasons why "Momentary Lapse of Reason" is a Pink Floyd album because <laughs> Pink he Floyd didn't. sells, David yeah. Gilmore does not. So, yeah, makes um, sense. Well, Tony, thank you very much. Um, I guess I'm up next, and uh, as everybody knows, I'm a a big fan of our uh, neighbor to the north, our uh, wonderful Canadians who make a, up a huge portion of our audience for some reason we can't understand. Uh, so I've I've picked a uh, band from Vancouver, the Kings. And I'm excited to say that I know nothing about this band, but uh, they have a a great pop they have two great. I've I've cheated. I'll admit it. Right, I've <laughs> I've done two songs. Uh, well, not not really. I'm talking about the band The Kings, and uh, the song uh, "This Beat Goes On." I said to ring you up when I was in Toronto. I have lots of friends that I can gang at any time. Could mobilize some laughs with just. And switching to glide. 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 Switching to I think make up some of the best pure, pure, unadulterated pop music ever made. Uh, I used to play this every Friday when it was time to leave the office uh, and pretend like I was about to go party. Uh, Of course, I can't stay up past nine o'clock. So there's some limitations on that. But these are are great songs. I I know very little about this band, um, but. I don't even know. Uh, th- this did get radio play, but I haven't heard it in years and years and years. But it's it's uh, a pop uh, combo uh, compared favorably to uh, other other uh, songs that go together, like uh, um, "We Will Rock You" and "We Are the Champions" or that feeling in any time. That great thing that happens when a band puts two songs together, and you get the you get the power of one and you can't believe they're going to get any better. And then here comes the next song and there's even more energy in the next one. Are you surprised? I like this song. I like it. You do. Yeah. Are you surprised? No, no, you would have to, this is your, I don't see how you could Tony. So the the only way you can't take yourself seriously is you go, Oh, I guess I just don't understand things like this. I guess, but you know, uh, there's i mean uh, th- this album in general isn't that isn't that great but there are other songs on that album that are really good um, i agree 
Um, uh, didn't Bob Ezrin produce this? You're, yeah. God, yeah, that's a, almost the only name on the whole back of the cover. He must have been very uh, influential. <laughs> Well, at the yeah, time, Bob, at the yeah. time when this came out, which is when? What year did this was this released? That's eighty. Yeah, so he had done the Wall, <laughs> which was a monster. <laughs> uh, he done a couple Kiss. of Kiss albums. Um, uh, Lou Reed. Yeah. Oh, I um, always forget about that. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, this is a this is good good old pure power pop from from our neighbors up north. It's good stuff. Which is surprising because Bob Ezrin is uh, also known for his. The ability to orchestrate you know he, well he i, I don't know production. what it is but it's just unadulterated feel good hop around music i, I hate to yeah. ask this but is bob Re- is, is bob ezrin a canadian i think he is isn't he i think yeah he is canadian so maybe that's how he got involved in this yeah 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 i should know, you know, I should you know that someone, and i don't if i just a bit of advice if you meet someone from canada don't ask them if they know some other guy from Canada because <laughs> it's not like that. It's, it's big. Mm. All right, Jam, it's time for you to go on to number two. Okay, so the song. Number two, right? The second song. Yeah, the second song, right. yes. I, um, I didn't mean we're having a break. <laughs> <laughs> the second song that I'm going to uh, bring up is by a band out of England penguin cafe orchestra um and I, you can't really call them a band um it's a they're more like an, an actual orchestra they they um were founded by a guy simon jeffries who is a trained classical musician um and he was kind of straddled in between uh Wanting to be a classical musician, but he was also had kind of pop sensibilities, and he kind of went more towards the the avant garde. Um, the song that I'm talking about is one that, if you've watched commercials, usually for like insurance companies or financial companies, they use this song a lot. It's Perpet- Perpetuum Mobile. They always give their songs bizarre names. But uh, it's it's one of the more straightforward tunes that they've ever done. The reason it's off of an album called Signs of Life. And a reason why I say we couldn't do this album is because it really borders on serious music. Um, It uh, most of the stuff is orchestrated um, and it's it's avant garde. Everything is instrumental. They do things like uh, on some of their songs, they have it's a rubber band being plucked between two fingers and then a, uh, a dial tone for a telephone and they'll make music off of that. So they do stuff like that. That's kind of what they're, they use found objects. This song Perpetuum Mobile is, uh, I just find it, it beautiful. 
Um, it's got just an amazing, the, the time signature is very unusual. I love the way that the strings come in here and there. And, um, it's, it's, um, it's very difficult to actually call it a song, but the reason why I chose it, because I'm, I'm sure that you've heard it. And I do want to give these guys, um, some, some recognition because I, I think that they've been a very overlooked band. Um, unfortunately, uh, Jeffries died in 1997. Um, so he, a lot of the stuff that has been, uh, found kind of after his, you know, it's, it's posthumous, his fame kind of came posthumously. And, uh, there's members of the group. It, it's one of those that he's really the only member of the, the continuing member of the band. Everybody that's ever played in this group plays like a symphony of orchestra uh, of, of instruments, uh, just because they're the string player doesn't, they, they might be playing, um, you know, guitar, somebody's there's somebody that's like poor guy. Somebody has to play bass. Um, but it's, it's a fascinating band. <laughs> that sounds like me, JM. <laughs> I know, but it's a fascinating band. It's, it's, it's very much worth just look them up. But, um, like I said, signs of life, it's, it, it might just be too, a little too far out there for us to do. Um, and a little bit too serious for us. I assumed you don't it might be a little too far out for the uh, violation podcast. What do you think? I, I assume JM didn't pick this album because he wanted to keep us as friends, but maybe I was wrong about that. I can, Doug, Doug, I got a question for you. Could you, I mean, is this not the most JM pick of all the things we've talked about on this podcast? Uh, yeah. Uh, in this. What's that? Um, uh, John Kale would be second place. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'll let you two guys talk about this. I don't have yeah. much to say. I, I feel the same as Tony. Uh, Tony, what's your pick? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's not fair. I just want to say, I, I do. I, 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 honestly, I honestly feel a little insulted by saying something's too serious for us because um, I, I don't know. I think we could tackle something. Well, like this that. isn't a pick up your guitar and strum along. It's song. not. No, I mean, we tend to lean towards that, but I, I don't know. I think that... Um, out of the three of us, you tend to lean towards more avant-garde stuff. Uh, <laughs> Doug and I actually like things you could snap your fingers to, for the most yeah. part. Um, not but I just think we, it's a beautiful. I think it's a beautiful piece of music, and I think it I, is. I, I don't all, need, the, all the chicks can listen to it and then write in about JM. You're so right. You're the only one I, who understands beauty. <laughs> I don't mean this insultingly. I really don't. I it's hard and this is just me i'm maybe i'm not sophisticated maybe that's why we're not talking about this when i li i listened to this whole album and it was hard for me to distinguish one song from the next it all sounded exactly the same to me well yeah so i, I that. you know anyway sorry i didn't want to just leave it at just blowing you off i thought it was worth talking about but i do find it it's fascinating that you picked this because it seems very much in your in your wheelhouse um, <laughs> And and I, and it's also very much something Doug and I would be scratching our heads the whole time we we're listening to it, going, "What what are we supposed to do with this?" <laughs> well, we're just course. Uh, we are. We're, we're to Jay, and we're Foghat fans. That's right. Turn it up. <laughs> All right. uh, <laughs> we got to move on to rock and tea. All right, up tea. What do we got, Tony? Well, surprise, surprise! It's a power pop song. Oh. So oh, this God. is <laughs> this is a song. I picked this song, uh, and I think it's worth talking about because it seems to fit perfectly with what we're talking about. So this is a song called "Doing It the Wrong Way" by a band 
called the Candy Butchers. In fact, they're labeled on this album as Mike Viola and the Candy Butchers. The album's falling into place. So the Candy Butchers were a band that um, I discovered in the late 90s. They had put out an EP um, called uh, Live at La Bonne Bonnière. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, and it, and they were a two-piece band. It was Mike Viola on guitar and vocals and this guy named Todd Folsham on drums and vocals. And it is, there are songs on there that um, when I hear them, they just make the entire room light up. They're, they're that good. They are jangly and bright and the harmonies are fantastic. Time goes on outside of the room. Her skin's still tan, her hair's still blonde. She won't take her bikini off the California girl until till you die off of that. They're pop masterpieces. So really excited when this full-length album was going to come out. And by that time, uh, the drummer had left. Um, he left to start a family, I believe. And uh, Viola recorded this album. And uh, and it's got people I like on it. Pete Donnelly from a band called The Figs that I really like is on it. He plays bass and vocals. Um, and I, put, I bought it when it came out. I put it on and listened to it. And my face just fell because it does not have the magic that that ep had and i don't i don't know what happened i don't think the drummer maybe the, i don't know something happened between the two of them um I, I i would love to talk about the ep but we don't do that kind of stuff i'd love for you guys to hear some of the other songs that these that that because he's done other songs that are fantastic but it's just odd that someone with this much potential would put out an album that was just so hit and miss more miss than hit um it just, it was really, really disappointing. So that's why we're not talking about it, but I do want the the song doing it the right way to, uh, or doing the wrong way to, to be out there for people to, to, uh, listen. I do want to say one thing, because when you listen to this, the voc the vocals will sound familiar to you. And the reason why is Mike Viola was the singing voice of the lead singer in the wonders from that thing you do. So that song, oh. that thing you do it's Mike Viola singing that. And, uh, that. And interestingly enough, that uh, that's the song that was that thing you do was written by a guy named Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, who sadly died of COVID in 2020. But um, he they both Mike Viola also entered a song. They had a contest. Of, they had a songwriting contest to see who could write a song that sounded like a 1960s pop song. And uh, Adam Schlesinger won it, but they liked Mike Viola's voice. So they added him on there. So, so, so if you hear the vocals, you're like, oh, that sounds familiar. That's because he is the one that sings the lead on that thing you do. But anyway, again, I'm rambling on and on. Doing it the wrong way by the Candy Butchers. It's a fun <clears throat> song. Yeah, I, I, I listened to the song. I don't know very much else about the group but i do remember the, I mean, the song is is fantastic i've never heard of them before at all and i, I hadn't either found it easy to pick up right away yeah so this kind of drives me to a question uh -huh. um we're talking about great songs of of albums that we would never um actually review 
Mm-hmm. What do you think, if you've written a really good song on an album, what, why do you think that the rest of the album sometimes just stinks? Like, why couldn't you just say, wait a minute, I've got, I've been able to do this. Let me put out something that's, I, that's, that's I don't, I don't know. I think that's an even broader uh, part of that question is what happens to bands who early in their career write amazing stuff and then seem to lose it somewhere just along lose the way. It. Yeah. I have, that's just a, a, but a huge, to me, it seems a, a lot of the time it seems that they don't know what's good about what they do. That's good. And they don't know what's bad about what's the, what they do. That's bad. Um, they're not a critic. They're just a produce. They're just a creative uh, force. And yeah. I, I hear that all the time with these. Um, I, I think sometimes guys know they're putting out uh, turds, but sometimes I don't think they know the difference of when they're coming up with something inspired and when they're coming up with something that makes yeah. embarrassed for them. It's like uh, John Mellencamp. Is there a, I, I don't know of a John Mellencamp album that I could get all the way through. I mean, I, 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 I agree with that. It, sometimes you're thinking, wow. How I, did he come up all with the that? Time. And another yeah. time you're going, ooh, ooh. What is he? God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, JM, because we're about to talk about <laughs> the greatest examples of that of all time. <laughs> what is that, Doug? What is the greatest example of that all time? One of the greatest examples of all time. And that is a band called, and this is my pick, a band called Jefferson Starship. As all of y'all know, the uh, Jefferson Airplane broke up after uh, pretty much becoming, the, for a while, king of the uh, San Francisco sound. And uh, Paul Kampner, uh, who is a force of nature himself, and Grace Slick put together Jefferson Starship and went in an entirely new direction. And uh, they had culminating beg your pardon culminating in one of the worst bands that have ever well i mean they're they're they're, they can they're extra they're a very talented band that yes did exactly what we're talking about they would put out some remarkable songs and some songs that were embarrassing and uh they alienated jefferson airplane fans by doing something we haven't talked about before and that is by scoring huge hits on adult contemporary radio. There's there's nothing that makes you less cool than adult contemporary radio. <laughs> but you have these songs. Um, Miracles was a huge hit. Um, Red Octopus, yeah. Uh, you've got uh, Runaway, another huge hit. Uh, Count on Me. All of these have something in common. They're they're really they're pop tunes. They're heavily um, orchestrated, many of them, and they feature uh, Marty Ballin with his extremely unique voice that I I personally love very much. But mm-hmm. it would it's a voice that would be at home in a uh, Holiday Inn uh, lounge. <laughs> <laughs> There's problems with that, um, but uh, 
the 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 album I'm talking about is uh, the 1976 uh, Spitfire album. It has one of the coolest album covers of all time. <laughs> this album represents uh, Paul Kempner's fascination with Asia, I believe. And uh, um, Grace Slick named their daughter Asia during this period of time. But he writes, uh, he's got a song on here. And that's the song I picked. It is called St. Charles. St. Charles, tell me tonight. Tell me about It's written by Kentner, Ballin, Barish, Kirkishio, and Thunderhawk. I have no idea who the hell Thunderhawk. <laughs> but um, really, I, I think Kentner's probably being uh, generous because this song sounds 100% him. Mm-hmm. So you have three people singing on this song. You have Paul Kentner doing all the parts that aren't hard because he has a very limited range. You have Marty Ballin doing all kinds of wild acrobatic things with his voice. And then uh, Grace Slick is coming in to add emphasis with her voice, which can do pretty astonishing things. Uh, Mm -hmm. Talked about fade-ins before. This is the greatest fade-in of all time. Uh, One of the greatest uh, openings of all Mm -hmm. time. It's like someone waking up at the beach. And uh, it's a love song, a passionate love song. And it just moves like, uh, it's like a wave in the ocean. It's just remarkable. Craig Kikishio's guitar goes all over the place in a very good way. And uh, there's vocals piled up on top of vocals. I just absolutely love the song, but it's it's on an album that I, I could never, ever uh recommend yeah uh that people listen to and of course this is uh this is jefferson starship jefferson airplane start out strong jefferson airplane comes out with maybe two or three good albums and then jeff i mean jefferson starship comes out with about two or three great albums and then they go into a new phase after freedom point zero uh, point zero and they turn into a journey-esque pop band with a new yeah. singer. Find your way back to her heart. Find your way back. Find your way back to her heart. That's uh, <laughs> a pop voice. And they gradually just disintegrate into mm-hmm. Nothing. Uh, I, I think their biggest hit was one of the worst songs was We Built This City. I think it is routinely named the worst song in <laughs> rock and roll history. And uh, yeah. that's that's Race a song like about a bunch of drug addicts who think they built San Francisco on their <laughs> music. But uh, anyway, this is St. Charles. It's a great song. I, I encourage you to give it a listen. It is a great song, and um, 
the album that came before it, Red Octopus, is that's a good I album. That. We could review that album, and I really wish that this song. There's a couple of songs been on, on that. Red Octopus. Yeah, I wish it had been put on that. There's a couple of songs that could have been taken off Red Octopus, but this song could have uh, easily worked on. And the next album, Earth, is not a terrible. Yeah, I, I do think that Red Octopus is probably the only one that would. Yeah, cover up um, Jefferson Airplane. Starship has some we could cover. I mean, I'm sorry, doing that backwards. Airplane has many good albums, but yeah, but this is a, a nice long song. Uh, like you said, the fade in is, is really good. The guitar work on it is good. The singing, I love the the, the voices on this one. Jefferson Airplane, um, surrealistic pillow. I think it's a good album. Um, but just this whole their their whole history is just seemed to me like just nothing but hit or miss, and I and they they bring in a lot of outside help for their songs, which I think is one of their problems. I, I think that you're you kind of stumbled on it. They there are some clunkers on almost every one of their oh, albums. They're great at putting out songs that make you blush. Yeah, and I again I think this they seem to be like the least cohesive band of any of those bands that came out of the the 60s and 70s um but this song i mean this album in particular i even forgot this album existed that's with you i i know the song saint charles i almost think in my head that i thought it was off of red octopus it's one of those albums where i was starting to listen to it going hey where's that saint charles place um but uh yeah it's it, it's a great song on a and a pretty much a, a not a very good album Tony, I'm letting you guys talk. I, well, you can sell the song. I w- I'm not a fan, <laughs> and, and I don't want. I, I feel bad enough disparaging uh, JM's uh, little avant-garde orchestra that he's that he recommended. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to start talking about Paul Kepner or whatever his name is and the Starship. So, hmm. I, I it's. I, I'll say this. I don't. There's. I, and again. Maybe it's just my unsophisticated, unsophisticated, whatever the word is, uh, unsophisticated palette, uh, musical palette. There's nothing really about this song that to me stood out from a whole lot of the other stuff on the album. So, well, I I can't uh, take this may be our last chance to talk about some of the worst lyrics ever written. (laughs) That's on Miracles. Uh, one of the greatest things that ever happened to Jefferson Airplane or Starship, rather, was that their um, song "Miracles" was shortened for radio play. And the stuff they cut out of it was essential. And I'm, I'm going to read to you now some of the verses that were cut out. Every time you come by, let me try. Come on by, pretty please, with sugar on it. <laughs> I, like it. Uh, I can't even believe it with you. Oh, it is so. It's like having every dream I ever wanted, dream of a life come true. I pick up your vibe you know I'm having a fine time. It opened my mind, but I'm still drinking. Yeah. And um, here found me with my arms around you, and it gets worse. Oh, it gets so much worse. 
Um, I, I do want to say this though about St. Charles because I, I don't want to discount the way you guys feel about it because there have been there have been several things that you recommended for us to listen to or talk about on the podcast that my initial reaction is uh the first time I listen to it, it's uh but then I eventually something happens and I get it. So maybe listening to this a little bit more, I, I just be fair to it and listen to it a little well, bit. I've more. I've got to tell you that uh Jefferson Starship Gold. And I think I had it when I was in eighth grade and gradually learned to like a bunch of songs on it. But St. Charles is one of the last ones I learned to like. And then I went nuts for it. Well, I just I'm just thinking about your other pick. I mean, when I put that King song on, it wasn't any thinking about whether I like that or not. Yeah, that, you know? that's uh, that's that's an instant uh that's one of the most accessible things ever written. But, but I felt that way about other stuff on the album too. Running, running shoes, running, and mm -hmm. it's okay. I mean, no, those songs were like instantly. So, uh, you know, again, it's uh, I need to not be so disparaging because there there are several several times when you guys have re recommended something that I would not have listened to otherwise that I've I've actually grown to appreciate. Yeah. So, well, I, I don't I don't put St. Charles into the category of immediately. Uh, accessible stuff yeah all right ladies and gentlemen that that sums it up for us there's no rating tonight because that would be pointless but <laughs> i hope you've enjoyed the first of what i hope will be many violation podcasts uh we will entitle all of them a violation podcast uh so that you can know that we're hypocrites and that we uh <laughs> violate our own rules every now and then but also, if you uh, don't like the uh, violation format, uh, you can skip to the next album review we do. All right. And you can let us know about this violation podcast, our first ever violation podcast at tappingvinyl.com, where you'll find all sorts of good stuff uh, related to our podcast and the albums that we reviewed. Give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, and uh, maybe some ideas for some future violation podcasts. You can also uh, reach us via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl. And of course, you can visit our Facebook group page. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And reminding you, switch it to Glide. <laughs>